Welcome to this bloody business. I'm your host, indie filmmaker Andrew Johnson Schmidt. Each episode, we talk to the creative people behind the movies that make us scream in terror and delight. From the best boy to the final girl, these are the people who bring our nightmares to life. On tonight's episode, we're talking with Joe Cliff Thompson, an actor who's a horror triple threat, cranking out work in film. YouTube, and video games, you might know his voice from video games like The Forgotten City and System Shock, or the YouTube phenomenon that is Dr. Bob. So let's find out how he did it, and what it's like to be a steady gigging actor on screens of many different sizes. Here's my conversation with Joe Cliff Thompson. Two massive creatures are locked in a fight to the death in the middle of the sea. Destroyers, cruisers, and battleships fire special weapons and harpoons at one of the creatures, attempting to help turn the tide in favor of one. But they appear to have almost no effect on the gigantic monster. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob, and this is SCP-3700, also known as the Tides of War. Welcome to this bloody business, Joe Cliff Thompson. How are you, sir? Hi, Andrew. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Well, glad to have you. Now, we haven't had that many actors uh, in the last couple of shows, and you are absolutely the first actor who substantially does voice acting as well. <laughs> Is it? I have to ask you, when, when uh, you were starting out, uh, w- w- was there something specific about voice that you were like, I'll do the other stuff if I have to. You know, like it just kind of, it kind of came about. I just one day, maybe, you know, I was fresh out of college. I had just done my very first feature film in a supporting role. And uh, it, it too was a, was a horror film. Um, and I don't know. I just, uh, I just one day kind of clicked like hearing a, uh, hearing like a, you know, voiceovers and, 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 and like animations and cartoons and video games. Like I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going after screen acting. Why not do both? Sharp eared uh, listeners to this show uh, probably noticed that in our intro, we have your voice. That's saying, true. Yes. This, this bloody, bloody business. business. <laughs> How many times did you go down that path to find it? <laughs> I, I don't know. It took maybe about, uh, 20 minutes of just like talking to myself over and over. Like, hey, do we have to do this? It's there. I mean, it's, there's so many, and you never know exactly. Like I, I didn't know exactly what you were, what you were looking for. You, you gave me some ideas of what to go to bat on, but um, I find myself second guessing myself a lot, especially after I, after I send out the auditions, like, ah, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. Those are never, ever, ever useful. That's yeah. not, that's not helpful in the least. So really, it's just, you know, you, you try to get the style of it and you just hear it in your head and then you just got to grip it and rip it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I absolutely noticed that as I was uh, building that front section with the uh, sound effects and the theme music and your voice in there, uh, like laid up against uh, one set of uh, uh, Foley tracks you had one kind of a sound, but the, you had a completely different one, you know, when it was different. Uh, it was different it, when it was different. It was different when it was different. Entirely different. <laughs> Entirely. 
How long do you think the train up on that? I mean, to get to where you are now, did you mm. feel like you got to it rapidly or was it been incremental every oh, step God. of the way? Oh man. It's so hard to answer that question because like, I still feel like I'm nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I mean, first of all, you, you can't compare your success and your path to anybody else's in the industry. It's just, that's not going to be helpful. Um, but uh, if I if I really look back and objectively see like where I was, I guess I didn't really get into uh, voiceover in earnest until probably about 2012, like eight or eight or eight or nine years ago, something like that. It was it was a couple of years after I, after I started like physical screen acting. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, no, if I if I go back and look, like listen to some of my old recordings and stuff like it the the difference first of all in mic quality mm. is just like night and day yeah and you know it's oh, speaking of mic i'm hoping that uh my next door neighbor has started his uh his lawn mowing of the day that's <laughs> that is that's a sore subject for any voice actor trust me <laughs> uh there's like a pathological it's like dogs and then and mailmen like if i hear a lawnmower i'm just like <laughs> yeah yeah. But you know what you were saying there about the difference in the mic, hmm. you know, you want to believe that it's the capability of, of your creative act. You know, you want to believe, you know, Roger Deakins with a pinhole camera could kick the ass of, <laughs> you know, somebody, you know, with the newest new sure, equipment. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that with cameras, it's the glass, it's the lens and with microphones and preamps, I mean, it just is different. I I mean, technology marches on. Even just the, even just the quality of mics that that uh, you know. I've, obviously, I've yet I've a ways to go yet until I can afford one of those uh, custom, like handmade German, like a Newman microphone. Yeah, uh, I can't I can't remember if it's Newman or Neumann. I always mess it up. Um, but yeah, no, they're just like. The reason why they're, you know, several grand is because they are individually just com- like, like, uh, like Swiss watchmakers, you know, yeah. just at the top of their craft is making stuff. But also not only mic quality, but over the last eight or nine years, I really am happy with the progress that I've made in terms of just acting quality. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I've, you know, I've, I've taken a tons of tons of classes. I'm currently, I'm currently taking classes at Stella Adler in Los Angeles and like all of this is good stuff. Like it's. I have long felt that you can't be a good voice actor if you're not a good actor. Yeah. You know, like it's, how it's much all of, connected. How much of that is the musicality of your voice and how much of that is the psychology of the, of the character that you're voicing? Uh, almost entirely the latter, I would say. Um, I think my, my voice acting improved leaps and bounds when I stopped worrying about what I sound like. Mm. Um. I was lucky enough to have, you know, I've got the, I, I, I know that I, I can, I can use like the deep, rich quality of my voice and make it sound a certain way, but it's, Corin- it, it's Corinthian, rich Corinthian leather, <laughs> just melting on the hood of your car. I, I, I don't know. That went to a weird place, but, um, no, no. It, it, the second I stopped worrying about sounding like awesome, 
like everyone wants to do like, uh, especially when you start, I was no exception. When you start, when you start in voiceover, everyone wants to be the movie guy coming this summer. Uh, and it's, that's, I mean, first of all, uh, there are industry professionals that do that. Like there's like five or 10 guys that always book those roles. Like you, you will hear the same voice over the last several years. Like, I granted those guys have to retire someday, but my point is don't try to be someone else with your voice. Try to be you because there is no better you than you. I realize that, you know, sounds like a, 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 a tautology, but it's really true. Like that's what you learn in classes is just like, listen, don't, what you want to do is become this character, you know, like you don't try to become like a caricature. Like it's not in the voice of like, like, Oh, I want to, you know, cross left and do this like with my hand. Like, well, is it motivated? No. Well then lose it. Yeah. You know, like, and it's the same with voice. If, if it's not motivated, lose it. That is one of the biggest, biggest, biggest things that I've learned over the last couple of years. And man, I wish I had, uh, I wish I had uh, uh, known at least some of these rules uh, uh, when I was working with you on Witch Child, mm-hmm. you know, but like, but again, Monday morning quarterbacking is never going to, is never going to help. Sure. You, 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 you learn what you need to, when you leave, when you need to learn it and you just apply it moving forward. You know? It's an interesting thing. You're talking about the motivation uh, being your essentially lie detector, mm. you know, for the, I feel that way about the script. Oh, sure. Uh, Akira Kurosawa used to say that the, uh, that the filmmaking unit casting crew is like a military unit. And the thing that leads them is like their battle flag is the script. Yes. So as long yes. as you just keep going back to the script and serve the script, then you won't be able to bullshit yourself and you won't turn the wrong direction. It, it kind of sounds like what you're talking about with the motivation that, mm-hmm. you know, as an actor, you can, you can screw yourself up trying to, you know, upstage the next guy or whatever but if you're serving your motivation yeah you're not thinking about what you're doing you're Mm -hmm. thinking about what your reaction is going to be and there's no quicker way to get yourself out of a scene interesting you know like if if you're not i um so my dad is a um he's a, a trumpet player he's been a he's been a trumpet player for his entire life um I, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that he's one of the best classical trumpet players in the world. And wow. he says the exact same thing that you just said about script and writing. And that is you have to be motivated. You have to be in the moment because if you're not in the moment, it is just painfully obvious to everyone else around you. Yeah. You know, you, you're, everything, everything requires motivation. Like, Oh, that's, that's the classic, you know, actor, actor dig is just like oh these actors like what's my motivation what's my motivation i need a motivation here well you know everybody actor or not has a motivation for every single action that they do yeah bar none and and that is incredibly incredibly important for for writers actors musicians performers of any kind because if you're not performing with a motivation then what are you doing you're going to yeah. be on like a daytime soap opera. Just saying, well, just saying the words. 
Yeah, and as somebody who's not an actor, which I most definitely am not, the 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 time that I knew that was when I was doing cattle calls. When I did mm. the cattle call for Witch Child, I you remember. Know, we saw <laughs> like 250 people spread out over three days. And, uh, you know, a lot of those guys were amateurs and bless their hearts for coming and trying it. I, I would call myself an amateur then, then as well. I didn't know. I didn't know my ass from a butt. Well, I, I meant amateur. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, Amateurs in terms of the no training, no knowledge. They just wanted to do it. Oh, sure, sure. And sure. what the hell? Come on down and do it. I, I'd be glad to get fresh perspective, you know? Um, I Yeah, I, it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. I, I admire that a great deal. Yeah. But what I saw from seeing literally hundreds of people write, say the words that I had written down uh, was the difference between declaiming the words and and – reacting to the other person using those words. Yes. And that, that, that I was like, as a non-actor that like opened my eyes and I was like, Oh, see that guy, the actor is happens to be saying the words that we wrote down. Mm. It, it was the only words that came to his mind as the character, you know, <laughs> an amazing coincidence. <laughs> his other guys are playing it in a musical fashion. Yeah. They're trying to wring new changes out of the same standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. Like this, I, I hope not to offend your sensibilities as a writer. This is, but here's the thing, the, the, the little secret is that the words are incidental. Mm. And, and you know what I mean by that? The words, they could, be, they could be any combination of words. What matters is the intent behind them. Mm-hmm. So like... I, I could say the I could say the words. Um, did you do that thing? Twenty different ways. Yeah, and there are twenty different intents behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, so many different ways to play it, and like the the words themselves. Like this is a, this is an exercise that we did just a few weeks ago. Like everyone in the class had did the exact same dialogue back and forth. It was you know, uh, like good morning. Good morning. I made coffee. Oh, thanks. Like, but we had to have the subtext that something terrible had happened the night before. Mm-hmm. And every, every single scene was done differently. It was just such a, a stark reminder that the words, and I'm so sorry again, the words don't really matter. <laughs> of course they do matter. That's what sets up the whole, like, but in the, in the, in the microcosm of the scene itself. Yeah. Motivation is everything intent is everything. Well, I mean, the words, if we do it right, the words are writing on top of the performance. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're the skeletons, the framework, right? It's they're inevitable, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, Angie and I both as directors, like uh, I don't, I don't need someone to do it word for word. I need to Hmm. get them. You know, I need the the right combination to show up at the gate, (laughs) you know, but, you know, I'll I'll let somebody cheat some words if we can get the thing across. Yeah. Yeah. If if you get them, the meaning of the words across where I start to meaning where I start to have a problem with improv is not actually in the accuracy of the words, but in the the pacing. If it's Uh, if there's a if there's a lot of air inside the the performance then I know that 
it's, let me put it this way. Like some of the greatest dialogue work ever is that uh, fast talking stuff that they're doing uh, in, in the thirties in Hollywood. Oh yes. Yes. Of course. The rat-a-tat-tat. And you know, the Howard Hawks work with his actors of knocking that stuff out. Do you know that those were all the words that were in the script? No, you don't. It doesn't matter <laughs> because the pace, bop, 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 snap, snap, snap. Get a for a new pair of shoes. See, concrete shoes. Man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, now let's let's get on. I want to get on to some uh, something uh, that you can tell us about that mm-hmm. is kind of a phenomenon. Uh, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody with quite the... Uh, uh, how do I want to say it? The niche uh, 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 hotness of you right now. So oh. I'm going to remember this moment. Uh, tell us about the web series, Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob is, I was, I was approached uh, uh, middle of last year during the pandemic. Um, well, I say that like we're not still in the pandemic, but, you know, a couple months after the outbreak and I was just, you know, looking for work and I get messaged out of the blue on Twitter um, about uh, this this writer who's gotten in, in, in touch with a couple animators. Um, he wanted to do a series that's uh, kind of like documentary style about uh, what's called SCPs. And so what are SCPs? I thought to myself. So I looked online and my God, this is, this is, you said it right. It's a phenomenon. It is, it is an explosion of these things. Like an SCP is a, it stands for secure, contain, protect. And uh, SCPs are classified by the SCP foundation. Their job is to seek out kind of like X-Files-Z, like, 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 you know, Mulder and Scully would go and they would find a monster of the week. And, uh, you know, is it some of them are are harmless? Some of them are, you know, world threateningly dangerous. You know, some SCPs are, are you know, completely harmless. Just, you know, uh, and so their their job is to secure it, contain it and protect humanity from it. And, um, you know, they, they, they classify these, like this is SCP-715, also known as the man-eating blanket. Now, where I come in is that uh, they had created this character, Dr. Bob, and uh, it's very, you know, disarming. You never see his face, which is very, very clever on their part, because that's, you know, it's how do you make a, how do you instantly make a character interesting out of the gate? Like, what do you remember about uh, uh, the next door neighbor in Home Improvement? There was Top always some contrived head. reason that should the, the hide the bottom of the face. Like, and it also saves on animation. <laughs> so this character, Dr. Bob, uh, voiced by me, uh, presents every every episode presents a new SCP. And usually it starts with like a like just like X-Files did with the with their cold opens. You know, you're sitting alone on your couch at home when all of a sudden, you know, you hear something. You open the window, you stick out your head and look, but there's nothing there. So you go back inside and sit back down and, you know, before long, I don't know, something leaps out and bites your head off. Um, and then it, uh, it, it transitions to, hi, I'm Dr. Bob, and this is SCP-751. And uh, it's, 
SCPs themselves came about from this whole kind of an evolution of uh, creepypastas, uh, like Slenderman style. And it just became this whole thing. I don't know if it's on like a, there are several websites devoted to these, but it's this whole community of, um, of uh, aspiring writers and, and, and people like like illustrators. Uh, They are kind of collaborating on this whole shared universe where these all exist. Tonally, there is a difference here because Dr. Bob has a jolly quality to it. Yeah. I associate more with like Alfred Hitchcock presents. Sure. Um, uh, maybe uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, uh, creep shows. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you actually, that was, a, that was a that was a conscious decision on my part. Like the um, the the writing has kind of evolved with um, with the uh, with the Dr. Bob character. And there has been much more moments of like levity and like some, some jokes here and there, but it's always like the material is incredibly dark. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, kids are writing this shit. Holy God. Like what the hell? Like people are getting dismembered, you know, uh, is falling and being dissolved by acid and just like all these horrible, horrible things, but it's all, it's all presented (laughs) by just this, this disarming, just hi, I'm Dr. Bob. And this is the worst thing you'll you'll see all week, like, and and I am a big fan, a big fan of uh, of playing the opposites. Yeah, uh, uh, juxtaposition is so interesting to me. Like, uh, 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 that's why you know some of my favorite episodes of the X Files to go back to that are like the, the comedy episodes, uh, Bad Blood in particular about the about the vampire. Which I think I won't spoil it, but uh, uh, has the one of my favorite cold open cold opens in in all of fiction, uh, in all of television. Just just the before credit scene just tells a tiny little story that's just perfect, and and it, it's 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 played for comedy. But again, it's you know people are getting killed, like there's horrible things happening, and uh, and. Uh, I feel like it would it would lose something if it was just horrible things being presented and just the most dour, just like this is awful, horrible people getting killed. Like it's you, you got to have something else going, you know? Right. Well, I mean, you and I both are in agreement that one of the greatest uh, films John Carpenter ever made that, that anyone in that genre has ever made is the thing. Yeah. But I mean, it nearly destroyed his career huh. and. And that oh, tower- it came out. It came out the week of ET. Right. Like talk about contrast. exactly, exactly. And Jesus. I think it's, I think it's that dourness. You yeah. know, yeah, people, it is. People work a sixty-hour work week. They take a piece of that blood money, you know, mm. from their account. They go to the movies, eye popping. You know, oh, just visuals. horribly grotesque, wonderful, and I and I love that. Sh- I love. That oh shit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so when much. you get to the end and like you know, you're like, ah, well, that makes sense. I'll yep. just go out and sit in the car, and <laughs> when I've recovered enough, I'll drive home. I mean, <laughs> somehow no, people that, want to see a little alien eating Reese's pieces. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, look, totally. If, if you're okay with doing it. And you believe in the long tail of uh, genre that eventually enough DVDs will be sold, then God bless you. Go on and do it. But if you think that, you know, it's going to, you know, you know, take over the box office. (laughs) Well, see, I love that 
people have really come around on that film because there is not not comedically, not what I was talking about with like the tone, but um, there is so much more going on with that film than than at first and at face value. Uh, What he does in that in that movie and that screenplay is genius. Yeah. Like there really is like it's so tight. It's just an economy of words and actions that you don't really see. Right. Especially, you know, in, you know, like uh, all sorts of the creature features back in the day, like it was just it was like five percent violent action and ninety five percent people talking in rooms. Right. Like talking about the blob, like the original blob was all people talking in rooms. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it was no, I mean, you 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 on on multiple levels, you get, you know, the whole you know, that was during the Cold War. So, you know, people are are paranoid and conspiracies and, and really like paranoia is the theme of that movie. Like that's not, that's not some, you know, obscure thing you have to dig in and find. Like that's literally like the thesis of the movie, but it's all in the execution. Yeah. It's all just like the, your mind is so much better. That's why, uh, that's why you never see the shark in jaws until the very end. That's why well. you don't see the, a, the, the, well, that was a happy accident, but uh, happy a better, accident. A, you know, the original alien, you know, the, yeah. again, like you don't really see anything because what you come up with your, in your mind is so much worse than, than what you see on the screen. And when you combine it with what you were talking about, what you're doing with Dr. Bob, yeah. so you add a contrasting performance Yes. To the so it's it's some scary, you know, it's uh, creepy pasta type stuff, but on top of it, <laughs> you got yeah. If I was Bob. like a if I was like a crypt keeper style, like that would be a choice. Yeah. That would be. I, I think that would be you know a, arguably a valid choice is to is to do like the whole crypt keeper over the top, just like well, it seems that you're alone on your couch, <laughs> and then something bad, horrible happens, but. To me, it was so much more interesting to have that kind of false, almost like false sense of security with Dr. Bob. It's just like, don't worry. This is, you you won't ever have to worry about this because chances are, if it finds you, you're already dead. Like, yeah, it's just, it, to me, like that was the, the, the instant, like instinct to go, to go for with that character. And, um, and my God, it has blown up. Like we yeah, just, I just recently, you guys are closing up on 108 million views. Now. Yeah. Like the, the first episode alone by now, I think I looked the other day. It's like what? 4 million, 5 million views. Like for something like 55, 60 videos, um, uh, maybe about 650,000 subscribers. Like I am just blown away by yeah. the reaction that it has had. I got to I got to tell you the part that I find most interesting with that online stuff, uh the stuff that we've put out hasn't been anything close to Dr. Bob's numbers, but when I dig into the analytics on it, as a creative person, it, it's kind of like you were talking about looking at your own stuff, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. your your reviews there's a part of me that's like, I want to know if they love me. But an, <laughs> oh God, yes. Another part though wants to know for future work. You know, like what is what is the connection I'm making with the audience? Because I maintain, sure, 
I maintain that a creative work, a pop creative work, is less like uh, one person dictating to another person the story, but it's more mm. like two people carrying a couch between them. And if you yeah. can understand the other side, the audience, you know, you're going to do better with communicating with them. And I would find like, well, Witch Child, the movie that we worked on together, mm-hmm. had really good numbers with women in Texas, rural Texas. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's the What's the explanation for that? I'm going to have to go to rural Texas and start asking <laughs> women. Just, just do, start doing man on the street interviews. Exactly. Like, but I mean, we've yeah. done other work uh, that got really good numbers in South America. Uh, not the slightest idea. You know, like my, my, one of my old next door neighbors, uh, he has since moved from this apartment complex, but, uh, you know, his animator cartoonist, he, you know, uh, you know, made, made a couple cartoon shows in the nineties. And, um, he, he would tell me like, yeah, no, my show, like it did okay here. It, it didn't get, you know, it didn't get a crazy amount of, you know, cult following, but every once in a while he just gets fan mail from, uh, from uh, like uh, like Eastern Europe, <laughs> like uh, it, it wasn't. I can't remember which country he said, but it was it was it wasn't um, it wasn't Ukraine, but just like for example, like you get you get fan mail from from like Ukraine all the time, and just Ukraine. Yeah, like and and you know people who obviously like English is not their first language, but they're like they're learning, they're trying, like they because they needed to get in contact with you. Because it, this show is just huge there for no reason, right. like no logical reason that you could see. It's just yeah. what what causes that? It's so it's almost like mimetic. Like what causes things to evolve along the lines that they do? It's just, I mean, wherever you can find your audience. And but decades from now, when your car breaks down in you know Albania, and people are like, is Doctor Bob? Is Doctor Bob? Doctor Bob, God, bring him in. We we, we have dinner. <laughs> like, okay, you must meet my grandmother, biggest <laughs> fan. She was third subscriber to Doctor Bob's video channel. She had like, T-shirt. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about Witch Child. Yeah, that's that's how we first met each other when you Indeed. acted in uh, Stardin. Star. Uh, Witch Child, uh, our first feature, mm-hmm. um, which at the time of this recording is still in post. These many you know, years it's, later, yeah, it's it's it's, it's got to have time to cook. I, you know, you hear about these productions, and they're like, "Well, it was a great production. If only you know the producer hadn't accidentally gotten you know in that uh, wood chipper, you know during <laughs> during." And then, you know, I, I wouldn't say cursed, but at a certain point, you're like, uh, pandemic is getting a little heavy handed uh, added to the other things. Oh, yeah. But yeah. when when we first met, uh, when you uh, came to a cattle call. That's right. And uh, and drove. I drove in, from from the, Phoenix up to Prescott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I heard about open auditions. I was like, you know what? I have some acting training. I'm, I'm looking around. I got to. Why not give it a go? Yeah, but you played uh, uh, a uh, archaeologist mm-hmm. who gets roped into for for the folks who somehow haven't heard about this film because that's all I talk about. 
it, it some uh, uh, there's a rural Arizona church property uh, that during a uh, uh, hundred couple hundred years before during the Pueblo Rebellion mm-hmm. in Arizona, uh, there was uh, the priest uh, found a woman that they said was a witch. Uh, they tortured her, and in part of the torturing, uh, they bury her upside down, facing down, in a coffin filled with holy water. In the chains. whole nine yards, just, to, nine just yards, to make sure. Just to make sure. And then. And then, uh, accidentally. <laughs> went Some dumbass decides the, to. The, the, the property is sold by the church and does excavations. It's uh, brought up, and now that they realize you know, that there's something uh, of a archaeological nature. They got to bring in an archaeologist to clear the site. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you and you bring your family. And, uh, and then of course, are your teenage daughter and her friends party in the archaeological site, <laughs> the dig site and uh, accidentally got some blood on it, uh, releasing this uh, witch child as accused right. witch, her ghost. And, uh, and uh, the mayhem ensues. And then hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues. But mm-hmm. let me ask you about this. When you yeah. came on board, what was your prep like? Because we were not in a position to do rehearsals. And, That's right. Yeah. And get to know the characters and each other. How did you prep for that? Um, so I did a little bit of a uh, little bit of rudimentary research about you know archaeologists and how they you know dress and carry themselves and then what i found out is that like surprise surprise every archaeologist is completely different so i'm like okay you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna put my own spin on this um i am here like it really it was just we talk about motivation it was really just i have to find why this guy would drive out into the middle of the desert in this little cabin in the middle of nowhere and bring his family like like there has to be some kind of desperate like search for, I don't know, recognition. Mm-hmm. Like that was probably the, the core uh, motivation that I found was like, I, this guy just really wants to leave his mark. And well, it and, doesn't and the, really like, and then, and, and a lot of that is in the script as well. So like, I was going to say in the third act when everyone's like, well, we, you know, whether we believe, you know, or don't believe we need to do something or, you know, we're going to be in trouble. And you're I'm like, uh, yes, your character okay, can't leave it behind. You know, you, I'm not going to take my career and stick it in a hole in the ground. Yep. That, yeah, that's right. That was the line. <laughs> and uh, of course, that just screws things up even further. Yeah. You but, know, the. Uh, but people who write horror scripts talk about the uh, the little sin, the thing that yes. the hero does that lets the audience go, okay, well, then bad things can happen to them. Yeah. What Do, do you think that the little sin for your character was that, that uh, overweening desire to uh, further their career? Or, you know, then there was the unresolved nature between you and, and – uh, the lead female character, well, maybe the lead Elena played your wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it's uh, I, I would say like his sin. And that is not so little. It's it's his, his sin. And that is 
basically neglecting his family. Yeah. You know, just like prioritizing his career over his family is what, you know, and, and, and here's the thing, like, well, I mean, I'm not gonna, not gonna reveal how, you know, how the, the movie plays out, but it's very interesting with that in mind. I, I, th- I think when we first wrote the first couple of drafts were much more about the, the screaming and the running around. Oh sure, and, that's and as we dug deeper and deeper, the the uh, family dynamics inside of that, the and and we saw that in that initial scene that we shot of a fight between you and yes. and, and your wife Elena. The breakfast table scene. The breakfast table scene yeah. that was so interesting. I remember watching you guys as you're doing it, and you were you were that not was my first day, I think, right? I, th- I think so. Yeah. And I remember thinking the violence inherent in the relationship between these people is like a, a, a horror movie that's on the interior while the ghost story, you know, <laughs> is going on around it in the exterior world. Well, what are we talking about with uh, with the thing? It's uh, and and the blob. Like, it's not just about the monster. Yeah, those are your bad horror movies. Your bad horror movies are just like, oh no, this thing's gotten loose and it's killing people. Like, oh, we have to stop it. No, every every, every good every solid horror film has something else going on and, and that's it. Like you gotta, you gotta find what the, what the, what the story is really about. Yeah. And I think that's what it's really about. Like, and that's, and that's great for me as an actor, because that's something that I can like, that's something like if you, if you tell me like how, okay, how are you going to react to seeing a ghost floating there in front of you? I'm like, uh, okay, well, versus now, how are you going to tell, how are you going to react to your wife? You know, yeah. Uh, yelling at you to do this. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, what happened, uh, I can tell you as a director, what happened is our our basic language uh, for the camera started to change and be influenced by uh, that dynamic, what you're talking about there. Mm. The way that we captured you, we had a lot of uh, times where you're reversing your movement inside the frame. Um, instead of looking from left to right, you you suddenly turn your head and look, you know, from right to left. And uh, I mean, for our fans in Israel and Japan, it will mean nothing. But for everyone else, <laughs> the way you reverse yourself inside the frame reminds me of this characterization you're talking about. When Elena, as your wife, ends up screaming, you know, inside of a, a locked car, you know, uh, the sense of being stuck inside this this doomed marriage. Oof, yeah. I mean, th- these things, you know, the, they're going to flip by for the audience, but for us inside of the film, you know, and essentially yeah. I think cast and crew are inside the film. We're living out our own private horror story there. Well, even even like general general audiences that may not be thinking about it, like, yeah, you may not be thinking about it, but something something will stick in your brain. Yeah. And that'll, that'll make it more like you, you may not be able to think about it like in in a concrete words but like when it's pointed out to you then you're going like oh yeah that makes sense yeah and i think again, we've all, that's what we're I, talking about with motivation i think especially with horror films we've all got movies like that i mean i can go back to cabinet of dr caligari i don't oh, know sure. how many times just to you know 
look at it and try to understand that painted on lighting on the set. I know, oh, I know the cinematography of that alone is just, right. I know that they did it because they didn't have the electricity to pump in all those lights. So they had to paint the shadows in. <laughs> and yet the fact that it's happening ostensibly inside the brain of someone who's insane. Oh, it, it, it works. It's, it is entirely self-consistent. And that yeah. was, I mean, that's the genius of that film because I mean, what did they have to work on before that? Right. Yeah. Like that right. was all, that was all theory. Right. Like and, untested. You, and you look at the somnambulist Cesar, you know, being played by Conrad Vate, who then goes mm-hmm. on to play the Nazi in Casablanca. That's right. Those are two very different <laughs> roles, but on sure. the day, on the day when he's on set and he is acting with those painted on shadows on the wall around him in that hothouse set, you know, I have to think that that changes what's happening inside his brain as oh, he's sure. when, when you were on set, was there ever a time where the location started affecting your performance? I was, I was about to say there's so many times just in which child alone, where you read the words on the paper, you get the motivation of it. You roughly plan out, like, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge fan of like, if the director doesn't say you need to be standing here and just pointing this direction and saying this, like, yeah, we'll work that out, you know, for the, for the scene. But I love like letting things unfold organically and actually being on the set and being in like next to the open grave or uh, next to that gnarly looking tree out front that, that, that dead, you know, branches just like against the moonlight. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no substitute for it. Yeah. Like you would, especially my, my latest classes, we've been doing a lot of imagination work, like teaching you to engage the imagination and picture your circumstances so that you are there so that you can, you, your performance can be affected by that. And, and it, it's, it's, it's difficult. It can be difficult work, but when you're, when you're actually like on set filming and that location was just gnarly. Uh, there's so many little different things about, you know, just knowing that there was a giant tarantula just under the house that of course, <laughs> of course, half the crew was just like, Oh yeah. What? what? I'm just like, eh, I don't do well with spiders. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm, you know, that spider isn't in a single frame of the movie. Like it's, when I'm performing, it's in the back of my mind. Like 0.01% of my brain is devoted to the fact that there's a giant hairy ass spider just chilling somewhere. Well, and that's part of our technique now. Yeah. And Angie, Angie has a, a tarantula on a leash that she just brings to set. <laughs> well, it's effective. <laughs> speak from experience. Well, speaking of which, we've worked our way up to Andrew's five big questions. Ah, yes. Longtime listeners know that while uh, Joe's been doing an excellent job batting these softball questions yeah, that have yeah, been thrown nice, his way, Andrew's five big questions, when answered right off the top of his head, will lay bare his soul and let Good you, boy. the listening audience, know, hey. Warning, we, incoming dead air. Do we check out the, the scariness that is Dr. Bob or the Forgotten City or System Shock? Where do we stay home for that night rider marathon? Who knows? I mean, I know what my answer would be. Exactly. No, no hard feelings. All right. So here we go. No pressure. Mm. Question number one. Who inspires you as a voice artist? Ooh. Ooh. There's a couple. There's a couple different I can I can think off the top of my head. Um, 
obviously there's, you know, uh, the legendary voiceover, like, uh, the, the obvious answer is, uh, is, is Mel Blanc. Sure. Because I mean, what it's one of those, it's, it's like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It's just how much of current voice of the voiceover scene and, and cartoons and everything in general would not exist if not for Mel Blanc. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, without the the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, there wouldn't be an entire genre of film, or at least it wouldn't be as as developed as it is now. Like, uh, so that's obviously a huge one. Like, yeah, you know, when you're when you're gone with the goofy voices, you, everyone wants to be Mel Blanc because he could just do anything. You know, it's uh, in terms of in terms of uh, video games um, voiceover, uh, video game like an uh, animation, the cartoons. Steve Bloom is a huge one. And I have actually had the compliment, incredible compliment of, uh, of a director telling me, you know, your voice has that Steve Bloom quality. Wow. Uh, it's he's, I was just like, cool. I, I, I'm, I'm done for the day. Like that. I'm just going to be just going to be sitting on a cloud for the rest of the, the rest of the week. Um, because I mean, that's, it, he's one of those guys that you look on his IMDb and he's got, 300 credits easy like uh but most famously at least for me was he was the arguably the reason why anime is is dubbed in the united states sure because i mean his voice for spike spiegel and cowboy bebop is still one of the only anime shows i have ever seen that is my that is my cardinal sin when it comes to voiceover i haven't really watched a whole lot of anime I when I get more into it, like on the on the the production side of it, I will correct that. But you know, he's you know, it's just all the epitome the, it's of all, cool. It's all there waiting for you. And- it, it's all there waiting for me. And my wife Becky, she loves anime. She's but she only she only likes it subtitled. She watches subbed anime. She refuses to watch dubbed. I'm uh, not sure why, but she said like, no offense, but uh, if you're ever in an anime. I'm probably not going to, I'll watch the subtitled version. I probably won't hear your voice. Yikes. That's fair. You know, she, she, she played through the forgotten city and loved it. So as far as I'm concerned, but the Japanese version, she, she watched the subtitles. Oh yeah. Well, she, she speaks Japanese reasonably well. Like she's been trying to learn more and more. So, I mean, there's an education part to it as well, but I think she just likes the original performances. Gotcha. I mean the whole the whole dub versus sub thing. That's a that is a whole separate can of worms we can get into. But to to bring it back to the original question, um, you know Mel Blanc, Steve Bloom, uh, uh, Jennifer Hale is another one of my all time favorites. Like just the versatility in her voice, she could voice just about any character and make it believable. Mm. You know, like. And really, it's just, you know, uh, 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 Charlie Adler, obviously, I worked with him. He's another one of those legendary animation guys. He was, you know, he was uh, 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 what I knew him from growing up was Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, he was the the neighbor's uh, Ed and Bad Big Ed. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the toads that live next door. And he just like has this complete, completely mad quality to him. Like he's. If you're listening, Charlie, you are an insane person. (laughs) One of the craziest people I know, like, but it's like just madcap energy and just always, there's always something else that you can, that you can, that you can find behind the microphone. Like just, just dig deeper, find it. 
you know, they're just, just boundless energy to just find more. And that's, I mean, as, an, as, a, as a voice actor, it is daunting, but also inspiring to just like, to know that there is always something more, some deeper level you can be reaching, you know? So. Awesome. Yeah, maybe question, a band just for now. question number two, mm-hmm. what to you is a perfect breakfast? Perfect breakfast. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to be completely boring. Just my basic go-to scrambled eggs and bacon. Crispy or soft? Uh, there is, there is a, a median. Like there's a, there's a, there's a line right when it stops becoming soft and becomes crispy Too crispy bacon that just crumbles in your hand. Nah, nah, forget that shit. Nah, it's like, it's almost has the um, almost has the texture of like really good beef jerky. Like it's, 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 it's a little chewy, but they're, they like the edges are a little crispy and like, it's still got, you know, all the, the grease from the pan on it. And, and then with the eggs, you got to put in, I, I make eggs almost every day. You got to put in a pinch of salt and some garlic powder. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's, it's, Basic, but you know what? It's a hell of a way to start the day. Bacon, eggs, and coffee. Boom. Oh, yeah. Coffee puts it over the edge. Question (laughs) three. Mm -hmm. When you're stuck creatively, what helps you find a second gear? Uh, I would say just uh, detaching entirely. Uh, it's okay. like you like let your let your mind wander and it'll come back. You go for a walk, you watch some TV, you uh, uh, video games. I'm a big video gamer. Uh, that's why it's so exciting to be getting into the industry because now I'm you know getting both sides on that. But uh, yeah, no, I love playing like uh, like video games. Some of them like uh, like Destiny is one of my favorites because it doesn't really require too much. It's like a guilty pleasure. It doesn't require too much brain power on your end. So when you're, when you're doing these, it's almost, you know, you get into a trance and like your mind can wander. And, uh, and actually not only like, like, uh, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of taking breaks. Like if you're, if you're, if you're stuck in the mud, like just back off from it, reset, and eventually your mind will go back to it. And, uh, and video gaming like that is actually one of my most effective ways of learning lines. Oh, that's interesting. It's so you, so you, so you, you know, you, you, you read the script obviously is a good start. Um, and then you, you know, while you're making breakfast, you just, you know, you just run the lines in your head. I do it without inflection, without punctuation, just the words. I, I, because you, you don't ever want to get into line readings. Like, just delivering the same line the same way every time. It's just like it's rote. It's, yeah. it's boring. So do it as dispassionately, like, um, you know, as, as completely detached as possible. Just no inflection, no punctuation, just the words. Learn the words and then just, then it's second nature when you're actually on the set. So, yeah. Awesome. Question number four, how do you prepare differently between voice acting and film acting? Hmm. Or do you? I I was going to say, I don't really know if I do all that much. 
Because really, like, the difference between screen acting and voice acting is video. Is it as simple as you just don't have a physical component to the voice acting? Yes and no. I Because here's the thing, like, a character is a character. A voice is a voice. I, uh, body mode, like it's it's all in service of the character. So you, if you if you can find the character, it doesn't matter if it's if it's on screen or if it's you know over radio play or in a video game. It's as long as you get that core, then everything else is just kind of like, uh, like the the fine details. You know, just uh, obviously, obviously, if you're going to be you know on on screen, you have to figure out your blocking. You have to figure out, you know, you go to rehearsals and you figure out, okay, well, I deliver my line. I turn, I pick up the glass, I drink from the glass, I put it down, I deliver my next line. Like that's, that's, that's all part of the the preparation process, you know, but that, that comes out in rehearsals. When, when you find the character, it's really just finding what motivates them. And sometimes that's easier than others. Sure. Uh, you want to find the deepest level of motivation that you can, that you are able to on that character and then that'll inform everything else, you know, and that that allows for, like I said, an element of of uh, of spontaneity of, of it being and sounding organic, which is, again, you can tell you can tell the actors from the readers. Yeah. In, in anything, you know, exactly. Like who is reading the words and who is being the character? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it's you, you got to learn the lines. That's a given, right? But again, that's 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 a result. That's not the that's not the the the, the you know the, the precipitating factor. Like, you know, mm-hmm. learn the character first. Question five, longtime listeners know. Question five, double jeopardy. Oh boy, what creative work in any form gives you the heebie-jeebies? Specific, like what specific creative work or like what genre or? No, specific work. Okay. Specific work. Uh, hmm. Creepy on the back of the neck. I, I have always been just completely freaked out and fascinated. Hence, you know, uh, my love of, the, of these particular films, but body horror is by far my most like, like does it could happen? Just, yeah, because you literally see that see it happen. Like, um, specifically like the little details. Um, like if you show me a movie where you know someone gets their arm chopped off and they're just like spraying, like you watch Kill Bill and like their arm gets chopped off and you see like a, this geyser of blood like spraying out. That's comical to me. Like that's right. that's funny. Like. And it's and it's meant to be in those circumstances. But then, like you you watch, I don't know, something like uh, like District Nine, where you see get a close up of a guy pulling out his own fingernail, and I'm just like, ah, yeah. <laughs> but it's fascinating to me at the same time. Like it's that's why uh, that's why I'm so fascinated by you know John Carpenter and um, uh, 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 oh shit, we were talking about um. um uh, Frank Darabont, yeah. he's got a real good handle on that. Some of uh, Cronenberg as well, 
you know, like the fly, like some of that's, it, it gets a little less later on when like he's in full fly man mode. Like, and then it's like, then it's not uh, uh, relatable, I guess. Or like, yeah. it, you know, it, it, it becomes like a little too, a little too alien. Oh, yeah. speaking of alien, the, the famous scene around that one I saw when I was about seven or eight years old, my introduction to R rated horror films was watching John Hurt, his chest cavity explode on the on the on the breakfast table with a bunch of actors who hadn't been told that was going to happen. Ooh, oh, God. Like as an actress, like, I don't know if I would have <laughs> like I would have been pissed at Ridley Scott. Like from what I understand, uh, uh, is it Veronica, uh, Veronica Cartwright? Yeah, she uh, she had some words to exchange with uh, with Ridley Scott after that one. You know, understandable. Well, yeah, but I mean, he, hey, he got he got the shot. He got the shot. Oh boy, did he get the shot! Mm. Yeah, body horror has always been my that and um, I, I'm always, I've always been creeped out by open water. Well, um, sure, sure. The just the sense of like being out, like floating in the middle of the ocean, like and there's just who knows what below you. But yeah. I don't feel like there's been a really great film that has captured that. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's kind of a glaring omission. Well, it's it's hard to make them. Just yeah, phys- like physically hard to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Like um, I remember reading the book uh, Sphere by Michael Crichton. Yeah. And that creeped me out, especially the um, the jellyfish scene. Like, Ugh. but then I saw the movie and it was just like kind of funny. Yeah. Not at all intended kind of way. Well, Joe Cliff Thompson, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing thank you with us me. the life of a horror <laughs> actor and voice actor. Such as it is. Such as it is. <laughs> I only ask one thing from you as we part, sir. Absolutely. Could, could you give us one in a world? <clears throat> in a world where horror podcasters are interviewing actors. One man dared to go on the show. Except for all the ones that have come before and after. His name was Joe Cliff Thompson. Rated R. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Much appreciated. (laughs) My pleasure. That was my interview with actor Joe Cliff Thompson. Subscribe to this bloody business and join me as we go behind the scenes for more tantalizing tales of horror filmmaking. Until next time, I'm Andrew Johnson Schmidt, and that's a wrap. (laughs) 